Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. And as always, I'm here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern Time, only on Red State Talk Radio. Now, I wanted to say something. So next week, as you all know, I am going to be attending. Well, I don't know if you all know it, so I'll just say (laughs) I've been talking about it. Super proud mom moment. I am going to see my daughter uh, graduate her basic training um, next week. So I will be traveling all next week. I will not be live, but I will have things that I will pre-record for you that are just general discussion topics that are obviously pertinent to us being informed citizens, to us understanding a little bit of history so we understand the present and the future, et cetera. So yeah, so I'll be seeing her. I'll be visiting with her uh, right before she heads off to her training. Um, and I won't see her again until like 2020 unless I fly to where she's going in Arizona same place I did it'll be super funny if she's if she's put up in the same barracks as me too um, so it's 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 gonna be a fun week for me uh, so I, I I thought I should just let you guys know in advance all right so wow it's like so busy, isn't it, this week? I mean, this week hasn't even, like, <laughs> like started yet. It's Tuesday, and it's insane. Um, a lot of people are seeing that the media has a few lulls, uh, meaning they really don't know what to talk about. We have them talking a lot about things that they've been talking about, and it's like, okay, uh, it's kind of like you're rehashing the same things you need to stop. We don't need a rehash. We need to what's going on now. There's so much going on now that there is like absolutely no excuse that we should be revisiting old narratives because this is exactly what the mainstream media is doing right now. You know, with the whole southern border, they're talking, oh, yeah, he didn't build the wall. Um, Technically, he didn't add to the length much, but he did build the wall. Uh, so they're talking about that. They're trying to, you know, put out again this racist, this division. You know, now we've got white dogs that are racist. Uh, so I guess anything white is racist. I mean, it's pretty, pretty insane. We've got um, liberal insanity going bonkers online from female. Uh, wait, people who identify as women being upset that they won't get their male genitalia waxed. Okay. Um, You know, like we said, hair discrimination. We're banning straws, not plates, cups, containers, or anything, or plastic bags. Um, So we've got a lot of insanity being pushed. Uh, We do have CNN 
trying really, really hard. So I watched them a little bit yesterday and they were really, really trying hard (laughs) to be newsworthy. But no matter what they were saying, they were trying to tie it into President Trump. And it's like, so I don't see how the United Kingdom fits into President Trump. On that note, United Kingdom, we've got Boris, who was a dual citizen, but he like um, renounced his U.S. citizenship and, you know, kept only his U.K. citizenship, um, who is now the prime minister. Nobody likes Boris because they consider him a British version of Donald Trump. But I guarantee you he's coming in with the steam May did May did. And we're going to see that steam fizzle soon. Because that's exactly what happened with May. Because now when he gets into the prime minister position, he will be he will be put in a room with a lot of people. Right. And he will be told a lot of things. And slowly you will see Boris changing. I hope he doesn't, but I'm sorry. He is the subject of the crown and he will. So I'm just saying that right now. I really like Boris. He's pretty cool. He's like um, one of those guys that looks like he has one drink too many sometimes, you know, at the pub. So we have that. Uh, We had the president yesterday meeting uh, with um, uh, Pakistan, Imran Khan, who's pretty cool. I like him. Uh, We had Mahdi. Remember when I said during the G20 summit, when he met with the Indian guy, Mahdi, that Mahdi is like Obama in an Indian version and he's totally like annihilated his country and he's horrible. Well, yep, there's his horrible head being reared. So there was a lot of controversy with things that were said about Kashmir, Mahdi denying it. Why are you denying it? It was kind of said in public. So what? So we're going to cover that. We're going to cover, um, is Erdogan dead? I mean, uh, we'll get into that. Uh, there's a lot coming out on Ilhan Omar. Okay. And I got to thank Judicial Watch. I know you guys are really busy. And Tom, you know, every time you drop a lawsuit, drop, you know, a subpoena, draft a letter, you know, it's like you pump iron for you. And thank you for taking a consideration into our kind of like, hey, let's all get together on this and put pressure on them to investigate. I've sent letters to Pelosi saying, you know, if this is true you're harboring someone that should not be in congress obviously i got no response um so hopefully because it's coming from uh judicial watch which you know they know very well uh maybe it'll be answered but we've done our homework and like i said you know pj media and steinberg they've done some really good work but they're wrong on a lot of things too um and that's Uh, you know, actual history of Ilhan Omar and how she came to the United States under the name she came and why she was with the Elmies. Um, So we're going to talk about that too. Uh, In the second hour, in the first half hour of the second hour, I'm going to have Peter DeBroska on with me. Um, So me and him worked at Big League Politics. We still like run together. Um, He's going to tell you about something new he's doing. I'm going to be, you know, chiming in on that too. Um, You know, he's um, obviously... I guess working with he's working with Laura Loomer too so it's like we all run in the same crowd because people that want the truth to be out there 
um, always kind of stick together. And as from the date that our president was elected, you can see the changing face of conservative or, or alternative media. You saw you saw how CRTV suddenly became Blaze, and you remember Blaze fired Tommy. You remember how Blaze was like center center ish right and kind of faux conservative took over CRTV. You're seeing your favorite sites that used to bring you packed news kind of be lame and compared to like a CNN with a little bit more truth to it, right? You're seeing that Fox is not so non-fake news, right? You're seeing this come to light. Again, we've said it before. Be careful who you follow. Be careful taking things as face value, right? Um, So let me start on this, first of all. So yesterday, uh, like I told you guys, um, yesterday early morning I was listening to Iranian news listening to Iranian radio uh, through Syrian outlets and um, you know there was chatter about Erdogan having a heart attack and that supposedly happened on Sunday around 2 p.m. our time and so that he passed away now that was quickly retracted and suddenly there was radio silence now only a couple of posts remained up uh, from arabic sites um and then there was one called the arab turk which is not even like a legit news site that said oh no 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 presidential authorities say it's fake and it's like okay mm, it's like stop It's like me saying, okay, I'm not saying that I would just put it there if I didn't have it, but let's pretend, right, that rumors went around that President Trump dyed his hair red, right? Rumors were going everywhere. CNN's going nuts. Fox is going nuts. Everyone's, you know, um, no, that's wrong. No, CNN, Fox, all of them are silent, right? Totally quiet. No one's talking about it. And there's rumors everywhere. And then I come out from my little site, well, you know, I'm not the Arab Turk. I'm actually better than them. But let's just pretend uh, I come out in this little site and I'm like, oh, confirmation from the White House says he didn't dye his hair red. And it's like, no one's going to listen to me because they're like, how do you come from that? How do we know you come from that? Who are you citing? Right. So this is what we saw happen with the Erdogan thing. So, guys, it's been over 48 hours and there has n- not been any official response to has he died or not. So in the past, and I was talking about this with Scott Adams last night before I was rudely interrupted with like life. Um, there, you know, they have in the past said, oh, he had a heart attack. Oh my gosh, he's dead. Oh my gosh, he's in the hospital. And within less than 24 hours, if not Erdogan, the Turkish press has come out and said, boom, it's a lie, rumor, done, finished. Always, always without fail. And right now, it's been over. It's from Sunday, their time, you know, Midnight. So let's say from our time. So it's 48 hours since the first rumor came out and there has been no official statement, no official statement, a lot of circular reporting. You've got people, um, you know, uh, coming up 
that um, are retweeting articles. Like I saw people retweeting the GreekCityTimes.com or whatever that is. And in there it was like, oh, this blog, you know, first reported the rumor that he had a heart attack and died. And then this uh, official news site, Arab Turk, and I'm like, Arab Turk is not an official news site? Okay. Um, said that presidential authorities said it's false. And it's like, mm, does anybody read the stuff they retweet? I mean, it was literally two lines and those lines two little paragraphs right which each had like two sentences were copy and pasted and put into other articles too right like nobody did any work they just copy pasted everybody and put it under their their website and I'm like is anybody reading this so right now it's been 48 hours and no confirmation uh, from uh, the Turkish authorities. I can tell you guys, I had someone online that I saw said, oh, Halk TV reported that it was fake. So guess what I did? I've got contacts. And the first thing I did was do what? I called, I called Halk TV. And I said, hey, it's Tori. I just want to ask you uh, about, and I totally lied. I didn't lie. It's kind of like I inferred. I said, I um, heard that um, you guys reported on Erdogan being dead. Uh, can you tell me about that? Like, can you confirm that? And so the response I got, listen to this, guys, was, oh, hey, Tori. Um, no, we didn't report on that. Okay. Well, um, is he dead? Yeah, we didn't report on that. Okay. I get it. But is he dead? Mm, yeah, we didn't report on that. Do you have any other questions about our reporting? I was like, mm, no. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, what happened? So I did get a response from my usual contact from the Ministry of Interior uh, when I asked about it and said, we're not confirming or denying, but they did confirm that the Iranian representative for the Iranian Central Bank was still there. That's it. I got. Um, and I put that in my article on lauralumer.us where it's like rumors are spreading that he's dead. Now, um, I also found a source somewhere and it's in Indonesian. I've kind of archived it. Uh, that was saying that he was speaking at an event in Indonesia. Um but I don't, uh, I can't read the link. I knew the language, but I can't read it well. So I have to sit there and parse it through with um, some tech that I have that I use for like automated translation software that I have, uh, you know, when I do big projects. So I'm going to try to parse that through, but it just came from a blog too. So it wasn't really official. Um, and I don't know if it's late reporting because I saw a lot of articles coming up and they were talking about things like with yesterday's date and today's date. And I was like, dude, that's like news from like, Friday why are you saying oh today and it's like because it happened on Friday I, I was reporting on it you know um, so it's a little bit strange uh, all we could do is wait because it could just be a rumor but then on the other hand why wouldn't he or the government come out and say something uh, so that's the question um, I just wanted to say that I found some really hilarious uh, responses to the Erdogan death. A lot of people, you know, saying things like, oh, he's he's not dead. He's probably just at the gym with Ruth Bader Ginsburg or uh, retweeting things like positive things that Lady Gaga puts out and like, yay, we did it, kids. And then, you know, they retweet it and say, yep, Erdogan's dead, you know, and stuff like that. I want to tell you guys what happens if Erdogan is really dead. OK, this is why we're discussing it. 
one thing people don't know is that there is a vice president, right, for Turkey. They usually say that the prime ministers are the ones that take over. Uh, but the vice president, um, Afke, that is in place, super not a nice guy. Okay, he's like a super Muslim Brotherhood guy. And I'm going to break that down to you a little bit. Now, um, what I also wanted to say was, oh, before I forget, so on Friday, you know, uh, Erdogan was um, talking to his constituents. And he was talking about death, you know, like, uh, you know, when I die, what will happen kind of thing. So that was like super creepy. I just thought I'd throw that in there because when I was looking at the most recent footage of him, that kind of came up and I was like, mm, what's going on here? Uh, so it was a little bit odd and I thought it was important to note. Now, okay, what happens? So first of all, as you know, Turkey has been POing a lot of people. And in my article, I outlined just a few bullet points, the troubles that they're having with us, the United States, the concerns that they're having with the European Union, or might I say the concerns that the European Union has with them, um, uh, that is backfiring. So, you know, they're putting sanctions on them. Turkey's playing indifferent. Turkey has the power grab, you know, with their, uh, you know, access to energy. Uh, they're attacking and infiltrating the Eastern Mediterranean. Then we've got the whole Libyan thing. And everyone's like, why is Turkey in Libya? Like, what is going on here? You know, then we have this strange possible attack. Uh, that's what I hear. You know, this missile thing that they found in Italy, where apparently it was supposed to be uh, supposed to be. So Russian press said that it was Ukrainian neo-Nazis that wanted to um, assassinate uh, the, you know, Salvini in Italy. And then sources elsewhere say that it was like a Turkish orchestrated thing for having to do with their migrant opposition of refugees going from Libya to Italy. So it was like, what is going on here? So it, again, hot mess with Turkey, burning bridges everywhere and standing strong and their uh, responses are not such as to say all right guys let's like keep the peace let's keep it mellow it's kind of like well we'll respond and we're ready to you know retaliate if you do anything to us so keep that in mind so all this is happening in the meantime their silence from their media their media their official media they know that egyptian press uh jordanian press israeli press greek press cypriot press they're all going berserk asking about these rumors and no one is speaking so this is a big deal a vacuum will happen it will be insane even though the vice president will take the spot there will be a huge vacuum a huge vacuum uh that is going to appear uh you know yesterday as we saw with these rumors going something extraordinary happened. So the Turks were firing missiles back at Syria because Syria was attacking southern Turkey. And then Turkey said that the Syrians that were attacking southern Turkey were U.S.-backed militants, Kurdish militants. Not only that, they put out a plan ejecting every single um, Syrian uh, refugee from Istanbul, sending them back to where they came from, which is totally fine. You don't want the refugees, whatever. So all of this happened yesterday under the guise of Erdogan's dead. And suddenly we see 
rapid fire. And I retweeted a video where a local in Turkey was applauding how they're taking out the Kurds and the Syrians and, you know, how they need someone stronger and, you know, it's going to be more vicious. And if Erdogan is really dead, then we're going to annihilate all the Kurds. And we all know that the U.S. is backing the Kurds and that, you know, they're helping us eliminate the terror cells, which we all know were what? Initiated, funded, and possibly still funded by who? Turkey. So this is where we're at, okay, on that. Uh, Nothing has come through. Uh, To be honest with you, I really hope he's not dead because if he is dead, uh, we're going to have a lot more issues uh, with the new regime and uh, we will have to tolerate a grace period, uh, meaning that you have to tolerate a grace period for the other person to come on board. And so you won't be able to, I would say, initially respond and um, hold them accountable for any malign type activity. So that's what's um, the most important. Obviously, there's a lot of people that are celebrating it. Uh, nobody knows what's going on. From what I see, Turkish people aren't even talking about it. Uh, they won't respond to it. I mean, my inbox has been completely swamped with you know messages uh, pms dms from turkish people and it's not in a good way you know they're like oh he's not dead just so you know we will finish us and israel you know you fear because mehdi has come do you know mehdi great war is approaching and it's like um so i think the turkish people actually know And like I said, like he said, the Mehdi is here. The Great War is here. We saw it start yesterday. So that's what's scary. So if indeed Erdogan is dead, aside from the fact that a Muslim Brotherhood, you know, uh, guy is gone and no more dictatorship, we're going to have it even worse. So in essence, I think it would be better uh, not to have him dead. But hey, Whatever happens, happens, right? Uh, On that note, speaking of Turkey, uh, we did have some developments in Libya. Apparently, the Turkish ships uh, that were found to be uh, trotting their way through the central to central Mediterranean, uh, you know, kind of going through uh, Greece and um, Cyprus were intercepted. So they were intercepted. by ships that have not been identified. Now, the Greek government is saying that they didn't intercept them. The Cypriots are saying they didn't intercept them or they didn't stop them. And I have no idea what's going on. Uh, There's some complete radio silence. But I can tell you this, that an hour ago, those ships started moving again toward Libya. So it's a little bit confusing as to what happened and why there was a pause. But something's up for sure. Um, I wanted to also say, uh, have you guys seen how the mainstream media has completely blacked out the Mogadishu car bombing and attack yesterday by Al-Shabaab. So the latest reporting on this end from the Western media, 17 dead, 28 injured. The actual tally is 36 are dead and it was like 51 are injured. Now, 
there is like nothing on, you know, that I can find about this. I have to go to like foreign sites to actually find reporting. And it's kind of like, all right, well, um, what, what are we doing here? Why is there no reporting what happened in Mogadishu? This is the second Al-Shabaab attack within a week, right? Uh, it's every weekend, basically. Why? And there is radio silence. So these are important things to see because we had this attack. What else? We had the Kenyan massive arrests of, you know, high officials. And by the way, just so people know, there's a guy that is trying to step into the Kenyan government. Well, there's two of them, one for more uh, northern part of Kenya and then the other one that's trying to slide into the Ministry of Finance, which is the position where the dude got arrested. Uh, guess what their names are? Both of them are Elmi. One is Yusuf Elmi and the other one is Ahmed Elmi. All Kenyan because Elmi, unbeknownst to many, is not a Somali last name. It's not. It's a Kenyan last name. So that, uh, you know, that is something that um, I should reiterate and people can go look at it too. It is a Kenyan name and Dr. Yusuf, it's Y-U-S-U-F and then Elmi. Uh, You'll see uh, his family tree and there are Nur said Elmi's there too. Uh, So (laughs) I'm pointing you in some direction, kind of leading you into where we're going to go in the next half hour. Um, After we talk about Pakistan, we're going to talk a little bit more about Ilhan Omar uh, because you know, the heat is being cranked up. And I could tell you guys, the Somali community is like eating each other alive. They're all like, don't talk about it. Leave her alone. Everyone's done something dirty in their life. Legit chats. They're threatening each other if anyone comes forward with information on Ilhan Omar. This has happened before in 2015, happened again in 2016, right? PJ Media reported it, you know, how they attacked this guy. And this guy had to flee back to Somalia so that the Somali gangs in Minneapolis don't kill him. We'll talk about that and a few more topics right after this short break. I'll see you all in just a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
plus it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. Uh, so I thought maybe we could just start on Boris because I won't have a lot to say about him until tomorrow um, because that's where the dust will settle right now. There's a honeymoon thing going. You know, he's all excited. Let's listen to his first speech as party leader. So he's the leader of the majority party, ergo the PM2. Um, so take a listen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cyril. Thank you, Charles. Thank you very much, Brandon, for a fantastic, fantastic, well-organised campaign. I think it did a lot of credit, as, as Brandon has just said, to our party, to our values and to uh, I, our ideals. But I want to begin by thanking my opponent, Jeremy, by common consent, an absolutely formidable campaigner and a great leader and a great politician. Jeremy. Okay, I'm just going to pause it. Was that a troll saying you really sucked, so that's why I won 92,000 to 46, or was that being nice? I don't know. But anyway, take a listen. In the course of 20 hustings, in more, I mean 20 hustings or hustings-style events, it was more than 3,000 miles, by the way. It was about 7,000 miles uh, that we did crisscrossing uh, the country. You've been friendly. You've been good-natured. You've been a font of excellent ideas, all of which I propose to steal. Uh, forthwith. And above all, I want to thank our outgoing leader, Theresa May, for her extraordinary service to this party and to this country. It was a, a privilege. It was a privilege to serve in her cabinet and to see the passion and determination that she brought to the many causes that are her legacy, from equal pay for men and women to tackling the problems of mental health and racial discrimination in the criminal justice system. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you, all of you here today and obviously everybody in the Conservative Party, for your hard work, for your campaigning, uh, for your public spirit, and obviously for the extraordinary honour and privilege that you have just conferred on me. And I know that 
there will be people around the place who will question the wisdom of your decision. Uh, and there may even be some people here who still wonder what, quite what they have done. And I would just point out to you that, of course, nobody, no one party, no one person has a monopoly of wisdom. But if you look at the history of the last 200 years of this party's existence, you will see that it is we conservatives who have had the best insights, I think, into human nature. And in the, best in, the best insights into how to manage the jostling sets of instincts in the human heart. And time and again, it is to us that the people of this country have turned to get that balance right between the instincts to own your own house, uh, your own home, to earn and spend your own money, to look after your own family, good instincts, proper instincts, noble instincts, and the equally noble instinct to share and to give everyone a fair chance in life and to look after the poorest and the neediest and to build a great society. And on the whole, in the last 200 years, it is we conservatives who have understood best how to encourage those instincts to work together in harmony to promote the good of the whole country. And today, at this pivotal moment in our history, we again have to reconcile two sets of instincts, two noble sets of instincts, between the deep desire for friendship and free trade and mutual support in security and defence between Britain and our European partners, and the simultaneous desire, equally deep and heartfelt, for democratic self-government in this country. And of course, there are some people who say that they're irreconcilable and it just can't be done. And indeed, I read in my Financial Times this morning, devoted reader that I am, seriously, it's a great, 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 great British, great British brand. I read in my Financial Times this morning that there are no incoming leader, no incoming leader has ever faced such a daunting set of circumstances, it said. Well, I look at you this morning and I ask myself, do you look daunted? Do you feel daunted? I don't think, I don't think you look remotely daunted uh, to me. And I think that we know that we can do it and that the people of this country are trusting in us to do it and we know that we will do it. And we know the mantra of the campaign that has just gone by. In case you've forgotten it, you probably have. It's always, always a couple of, it is deliver Brexit, unite the country and defeat Jeremy Corbyn. And that is what they're going to do. We're going to defeat Jeremy Corbyn. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there. So he's, if you noticed in his speech, he was very um, balanced in the sense of he was saying, yeah, you know, we want to work with our partners, but we also want to be a democratic nation. Because again, for those of you that don't know, the European uh, community agreement that they have is not just open borders, right? It's 
them being dictated what they're allowed to do. And I bring to your attention just one tiny fishing village. Uh, you know, they've had fishers, you know, fishing has been, you know, uh, families upon families for generations fishing in the same waters. And then suddenly when the agreement kicked in, uh, you know, fishermen took their boats out to go fishing and they were fined by the European Union. And they were like, what are you talking about? This is like British waters. They're like, oh, no, no, no. According to the EU, agreement the danish are going to be fishing there you don't you don't have territory there that fish is for the danes you guys can go fishing over there and over yeah but that's on the other side of the country yeah sorry that's the way the deal is and that's what happened so those stories started to break out and i could tell you uh, endless stories from italy from greece and from spain i can tell you my own personal one uh you know uh, my family has um almond groves and uh, other farms. And in order to be able to farm and not get taxed for illegal farming, as they call it, even though it's not illegal, even though you've been farming XYZ for so long, they're saying the European Union says you need to be farming strawberries. So now, even though for so many generations you've had almond groves, you need to get rid of these really old hundreds of years old trees and you need to plant strawberries because we said so so that's basically how it's going like feta cheese is a greek thing we all know that right but guess who has the primary export according to the eu for feta cheese france and it's like um i mean they could have brie and stuff but like taking away feta which everybody knows is greek like hello that's the way it works who has the primary exports for olive oil believe it or not they gave it to spain and it's like, but the Italians and the Greeks are the ones that, you know, mostly were known for this, you know, like even in Morocco, you know, there's tales and stories of how they would take trees, grown trees on boats to plant them in Morocco so they can have that great, you know, Greek olive oil. And then they realized that they needed the soil too. And they went back. That's like history. And they changed it. So this is the challenge he has. But He's speaking it well. He's saying that he's going to deliver Brexit by Halloween. Pretty weird day, right? But how is it going to happen? Will he change his tune? Because Theresa May was all about it. You know, everyone thought she was like Thatcher. Instead, she, she's just a female version of a half size of Obama. Apologizing, bowing you know, BSing her people and people got frustrated. Uh, you know, this is where England is at. And the Financial Times article that he's referring to, psh, I saw it and they're right. It is a really daunting task. You can't win. You're not going to win because they won't let you win. No one will vote for whatever Brexit proposal you bring forward. They won't because they'll say, oh, we're going to have to pay a fine. We don't want to pay a fine. It's like, just sue them. Boris, You've got a little bit of, you know, U.S. in you. You know, you're sporting the hair of our president, kind of. And you look like the guy that you could totally play darts with and have pints with. Get with the program, man. That's what they want. They want a realist that's going to be like, you know what? We're not going to get anywhere with this Brexit. They're going to charge us, you know, millions, if not billions of pounds to get out. It's going to be really difficult. They're going to have all these stipulations. They're going to tie us up in a nice bow and just roast us. So better that we take President Trump's advice and sue him. Sue him because, you know, they've taken away our right to be independent. Sue them. Mm, we'll see.
Now, moving along, let's go to um, Pakistan quickly. I want to play a clip uh, from where uh, Imran Khan was talking uh, with uh, President Trump and... um, Uh, They were talking about the war in Afghanistan, which is important. I want everyone to know that Islamabad, which is in Pakistan, uh, which I've been to many, many times, is a key point where we, the the U.S., can go to when we have severe issues in Afghanistan or severe medical issues, blah, 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 blah. So they've always been there, and they've got better hold of of Afghanistan in regards to knowing the territory – But on the other hand, they're bordering, you know, the border part of Pakistan is also very infiltrated with Taliban. So that has to be said. So take a listen to what these two leaders said. Well, I don't know. We're moving a lot of them out. And uh, we've done what we were supposed to do. We've been there for 19 years and we've acted as policemen, not soldiers. And again, if we wanted to be soldiers, it would be over in 10 days, one week to 10 days if we wanted to. But I have not chosen that. Why, why are we — why would we kill millions of people? It wouldn't be fair. In terms of humanity, it wouldn't be fair. So we're doing very well, and I think that Pakistan is going to be a big help. I'm one of those who always believed that there was no military solution. Because anyone who knows the history of Afghanistan, you just have to look back at the history. Uh, there was always going to be a political settlement at the end. And I have to compliment uh, uh, President Trump because he has now forced people to end the war, to have a, have a settlement. And that's where I think uh, uh, Pakistan is playing a very important role because Pakistan has a 1,500-mile uh, border with the Afghanistan and all the areas where the trouble is, which is the eastern side of Afghanistan. Okay. So this is a critical time. I'm looking forward to my talks with uh, President Trump. We have our military uh, uh, leadership here because this is obviously a security situation. And what we want is understanding between the two countries. Uh, I can assure President Trump that whatever we will be saying will be the apps. We will be straight with them. There will never be any question of any doubt on Pakistan's intent because Apart from Afghanistan, the country that wants peace and Afghanistan more than any other country is Pakistan, because we get directly affected by it. And Pakistan needs stability. We have had uh, 15 years of uh, fighting this war on terror, over 70,000 Pakistani casualties, over $150 billion lost to the economy. So we desperately want peace. And I'm happy that uh, President Trump has pushed this forward. So we hope, I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) So that was a good talk. So now we're going to get to the juicy talk, okay? Juicy talk, which is them discussing Kashmir, okay? Because Kashmir... You guys need to understand this is disputed territory. It's almost like, uh, you know, the Cypriot problem, right? Where Turkey just came in and said, it's mine and I'm taking it. Well, Kashmir is a place and this war has been going on since 1947 and we can thank the crown for it, right? I know China's in on it on one little section where they're claiming territory, but I want you guys to know that there's 18 million people that live in Kashmir right now. And so, uh, you know, it is a very important that people realize uh, that it is a big deal. 
it is a very big deal. Uh, it is a very big problem. Uh, they are fighting constantly, uh, you know, and there's a lot of death and it's been going on for a very, very long time. So I, I think it's important uh, that uh, we listen uh, to that clip and then insert the commentary from uh, India. Take a listen. I was with Prime Minister Modi two weeks ago, and we talked about this subject. And he actually said, would you like to be a mediator or arbitrator? I said, where? He said, Kashmir. Because this has been going on for many, many years. I was surprised at how long it's been going on. Long. And 70 years. I think they'd like to see it resolved, and I think you'd like to see it resolved. And if I can help, I would love to be a mediator. It shouldn't be, I mean, it's impossible to believe two incredible countries that are very, very smart, with very smart leadership, can't solve a problem like that. But if you would want me to mediate or arbitrate, I would be willing to do that. Uh, yes, Mr. I can tell you that right now, uh, it would, you will have the prayers of over a billion people if you can yeah. mediate and resolve this issue. It should be resolved. So, but he asked me the same thing, so I think there's something. So maybe we'll speak to him or I'll speak to him and we'll see if we can do something. Because yeah, I've heard so much about Kashmir. Yes. Such a beautiful name. It's supposed to be such a beautiful part of the world, but right now there's just bombs all over the place. They say everywhere you go you have bombs and it's a, it's a terrible situation. been going on for many years. If I can do anything to help that, let me know. Let me give you one thing. Okay. So you guys need to understand that this is like a deep-rooted, uh, you know, um, uh, discussion that, well, not discussion, uh, I would say war that these um, two nations have been having. And a couple weeks ago, I mentioned how, you know, uh, you know, we were talking about North Korea shooting missiles, short range testing and whatnot. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, they're testing missiles. And it's like we do it every day. And how many times did people in L.A. say they were UFOs when they when, when we were just testing missiles? But that isn't so much the concern here. The concern here is these missiles that suddenly came up and they were shooting missiles and every at each other and people were like, wait a minute, what's going on? People need to remember that India and Pakistan have nuclear weapons, okay? Every nation has. Now, they're just not using them. Now, um, we need to know also that in Kashmir... Uh, it was um, the Hindu king of Kashmir that wanted to supposedly join India in exchange for protection. And it was a primarily, you know, Muslim country. Okay, so you understand. Now, 45% uh, of Kashmir is uh, Jammu and Kashmir, which is, uh, you know, the south and the east region of it. And Pakistan controls the Azad Kashmir and uh, Jalit and Balistan, which is 35% of all the territories. Now, both of them are claiming complete ownership of Kashmir. But like I said, China's also in it, uh, you know, claiming some territory. And this has been a dispute because this dispute arose when the crown kind of interfered, uh, you know, 
know, in the 18 and 1900s. So there has been like ceasefire between them, but they flare up. Now, there was um, a suicide bomb attack. Uh, what was it? Um, just in February, wasn't it? Where India was saying that Pakistan had a direct role in the suicide attack. And there were paramilitary soldiers, you know, that were in, you know, in Indian controlled Kashmir that were killed and it's deadly. And, you know, Pakistan was like, yo, we didn't do this. Now, tell you what, one thing we need to remember is that this whole Kashmir thing, the Obama administration chimed in on it. We also know that Obama and the Clintons traveled where during the pre during the election campaign period of 2016. Oh yeah, that's right, India. And where did we see Hillary? You know, slipping down, losing her slipper. That's right. Okay, so we're all there. You get it now. Now, Pakistan is a weird nation. Okay, we've got your Muslims, we got your Sikhs, right? But they're, you know, they're they're pretty cool. You know, I, I like my Pakis. I mean, did you guys see Imran Khan's? Like, like I said, yeah, I had never seen so many Pakis in one place until, you know, they were playing cricket um, just, you know, a couple weeks ago and the stadium was jam-packed. Uh, they're actually a very, um, I would say, solid community, even though, you know, they have two conflicting major religions. Whereas in India, they have you know, two very staunch conflict, you know, Hinduism and uh, the Muslim nation, which is, you know, always button heads. So Kashmir is a big deal. The biggest deal is that President Trump said he met with Mahdi in uh, at the G20 summit, which he did. And during their discussions, they talked about Kashmir. Now, Mahdi says they didn't talk about Kashmir. He never asked President Trump about it. They didn't talk about it. And he's constantly saying it when it's a lie, because that was actually discussed during the G20 summit. Like when it was happening, they were talking about, hey, he's going to meet with this guy and they're going to talk about this and the agenda has this. So how did the agenda being reported by all these mainstream media outlets say Kashmir was a topic, but you didn't talk about it? Now, as a mediator, uh, that would mean that, uh, you know, there would be a team formulated to see the basic, you know, foundation of these complaints because China's in on this, too. They have like a 20 percent stake. OK, 35 is what Pakistan already has. India has 45 and 20 percent is like the Chinese are coming in like, yo, um, this is ours. I don't know why you're here. So you got to move. So this is what is going on. So there's three nations involved and they all need a good sit down and they all have to have a neutral party that has nothing to gain. One would say, what would President Trump gain by giving Pakistan more or India more or China more? Actually, nothing. You know, really, what? Favoritism? Like, why do we need India to be on our side? Why do we need Pakistan to be on our side? Why do we need China on our side? No, what we need is fairness. So hopefully this will come to fruition because Kashmir is a serious concern. Now, Speaking of FOPO, because I'm coming up to a break already and I'm going to have Peter for the first half hour. So I promise you we'll have all Ilhan Omar for the last half hour. I really want to talk about Turkey and what happened. I want to play a clip from TRT talking about the strikes 
They don't say anything about them attacking the Syrians, but listen to what they say about the strikes yesterday that happened in Turkey. Now, at least five people have been injured in southern Turkey after rockets were fired into the country from Syria. One person is reportedly in critical condition. The projectiles came from an area controlled by the U.S.-backed YPG terror group. One of them landed on the roof of a house. Now, the Turkish Defence Ministry has responded militarily and in a statement, the ministry said the following. Acting in self-defence, we have retaliated with our heavy weapons stationed on the border and destroyed seven targets in Syria. TRT World's Turkey analyst Yusuf Erim has more. There has been rocket fire across the border from Syria landing in the Jalan Pınar district of Şanlıurfa. Now, when we look on the other side of the border of Şanlıurfa, we see... Uh, in Syria, land controlled by the YPG or uh, the U.S. coalition partner, SDF, uh, YPG-dominated group. The YPG, as you know, is the Syrian affiliate of the designated terror organization, the PKK. Now, uh, Turkey has had problems with this group for decades, uh, especially the PKK. And uh, it's very, very coincidental that we're seeing this rocket attack coming from that region now. Uh, although it's not confirmed, one can only assume that uh, this rocket fire is coming from the YPG. And uh, it's very, very coincidental that all this is happening while the U.S. envoy to Syria, James Jeffries, is in town in Ankara trying to meet with uh, the foreign minister, Mevlut Cavusola, and defense minister, Hulusi Akar, while they're talking about a safe zone. So, um, like I said, I don't want to reach the assumptions right now, but it's looking like this is a YPG attack. They are the predominant armed terror group in that region. Uh, they've reached, a, they've tried to engage Turkish forces in Afrin before and other areas as well. Perpetrators are on the Syrian side of the border. There's an area right now that Turkey does not have access to, but there have been talks about launching an operation east of the Euphrates. Uh, this could be a this could be a retaliation to those talks with James Jeffries as well. But this is something we're going to have to follow very closely to see how it develops. Okay, so I just want to tell you guys something. James Jeffrey has been going to Ankara since 2018 as the specific envoy, right, for the U.S. talking about Syria. He is the guy that's been going there for a very, very long time. Now, uh, you know, he, uh, when he went there last year, there was uh, a lot of issues going on because the U.S. was supporting the YPG in northern Syria and Turkey is against them because they're Kurd backed, right? They're Kurds. They don't like the Kurds. So what happened was the State Department had made a statement then and they said in Turkey, the ambassador will meet with the Turkish leaders and other senior officials to discuss the promotion of stability and security in Syria. At, during that meeting, that's when they vehemently said that they do not want the Kurds to be backed. And the foreign minister of um Turkey, Cavusoglu, uh, you know, the guy that calls Ilhan Omar and congratulates her all the time, was one of the uh, most um, sternest, right? He was very stern on that position. Now, before we head out to the break, I'm going to leave you with just this tidbit. So he's already there. And firing happened while he was there, which is incredible, right? He's in Ankara. Why are they firing now? And rumors of Erdogan being dead have not been confirmed or denied 
while these attacks were initiated. I'm just saying, pretty coincidental. I'll see you guys in just a bit with Peter DeBrasca. A long way from the suits in D.C. But close enough now to see this mess Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper Just to bury my kids right up to their necks Welcome to Red State Talk Radio You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. real news welcome back everyone to the tori says show i'm your host tori and this is the second hour so for the first half of this hour i will have a uh, fellow investigative journalist he's great we work together at big league politics um and still kind of work together right um i consider him a friend he's a great voice and he wrote a book and this book is titled Enemies, the Press versus the American People. And so I'm going to have him on so he can talk to you about it because this is all about fake news. I mean, what people need to understand is that fake news is a real epidemic. And this is something that he's kind of laid out in his book from what I've skimmed through (laughs) as I could from what's available to me at the moment. Um, I can tell you that he literally tears it apart when you have people like Brian Stetler or, you know, Jake Tapper and all these clowns telling you where really or Acosta, you know, whenever he loses his pacifier, he starts to moan and complain that he doesn't get questions in or, you know, make statements rather than questions that the narrative, how they build it, how they've infiltrated our TV, our, our, our airwaves on the radio, our print and even our social media. And aside from them just flooding it with propaganda and fake news uh, and narratives that they want you to listen to. Uh, You know, obviously we have the other component of uh, big tech uh, ensuring that only their message maintains. So without further ado, I want to introduce all of you that are listening to Peter DeBrasca. He'll tell you about his book. Uh, We'll have a great discussion on fake news and other things that he's, um, you know, getting into. Peter, welcome to the Tory Says Show. Hey, Tori, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the kind intro. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to have you on here before, but it's like we're always hitting and missing because uh, it's important that voices like yours, uh, you know, are, are heard 
and that, you know, my audience who are, you know, working class Americans nationwide, and we have a lot, I should say hi to Hawaii, um, who has started to syndicate us there on two channels, and Australia and Canada. I see you guys. Um, this is Peter, and you guys should totally take a listen. You can follow him on Twitter. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Peter. Sure. Uh, well, hello, uh, hardworking Americans. You guys are the reason why I wrote the book. In fact, I dedicated it to all of you. Uh, the book is called Enemies, the Press versus the American People. Um, I am an investigative reporter by trade, formerly of Big League Politics. Uh, just started my own news site, uh, brand new, and we've actually got some big news coming on that in uh, a couple weeks at the very beginning of august we are going to launch it into the stratosphere it is called the rundown news you can find it at the rundownnews.com uh, we're going to be doing some serious investigative reporting there my goal is to be the next andrew breitbart and i do believe that we will accomplish that goal uh, but first things first we've got a book to discuss enemies the press versus the american people uh, as all of you know it's not really getting any better. In fact, it keeps getting worse if you thought that was possible. Um, so I laid it all out and I defended President uh, Trump's position that the press is the enemy of the people. In fact, he tweeted it out uh, yesterday again that the press is the enemy of the people. And it's important to note, and, and what I wanted to really convey through this book, and I, and I hope I did it well, uh, is that. When Donald Trump says that the press is the enemy of the people, he means that the press is the enemy of the people. He doesn't mean that the press is his enemy. He doesn't care that the press stops all over him on a daily basis. If he cared about that, he probably wouldn't have run for president and would have lived out the rest of his life as a billionaire on a golf course with his hot wife and awesome family. Uh, instead, he takes a beating from them every day. And, and really, when the press gives a beating to Donald Trump, they're not giving him a beating. What they're doing is they're beating the average, ordinary Americans, the blue-collar, hardworking people, the people that make this country go. Uh, they're really insulting those people. They're really hitting those people. They're calling you, us. I mean, I consider myself, I grew up very blue-collar uh, in a working-class home. Uh, they're calling us backwards and bigoted and racist and and so on and so forth. And and we all know, of course, that that's not the case. We just would like to be able to make a living and um, and be left alone for the most part. But the press cannot accept that uh, in their haste to uh, make sure that the the Democratic Party has a propaganda outfit that works. They have to paint you as evil, uh, as some kind of boogeyman. Uh, as some kind of, you know, other, right? Uh, even though, of course, you are just ordinary people. Uh, so I wrote this book for you, and, and the goal was to defend Trump's position that the press is the enemy. And I think that there are, are significant, you know, bits of evidence in here that show that. And so to uh, start us off with one example, let's just take the, the Russian collusion hoax for a minute. Uh, and think about that. So for two and a half years, almost three years, the entire mainstream media world, the, the entire narrative of the mainstream press was that President Trump was 
an asset of a hostile foreign nation. Now, just think about that for a second, okay? So every single day, you had cable news, you had talk radio, you had uh, news websites, left-wing news websites like Daily Beast and HuffPost and all these crap outlets that are basically, they don't make any money. They're just lost leaders for, for the Democratic Party, and they're funded by David Brock. And, uh, and you know, they're only, the, the only reason yeah, for their existence matters, is yeah. to continue the narrative. Um, they told you every single day for two and a half years that the president was actually an asset of a hostile foreign power. And they, and they told you that based on a phony document, a document that was made up by a spy who was hired by the Democratic Party. Now, I want you to think about that and ask yourself, is that something that a friend would do? Or is that something that an enemy would do? Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tori, but it sounds like that's something an enemy would do. Am I right? A hundred percent. And, you know, Peter, it's a great time that you came on because yesterday, and um, I'm going to showcase that in the next half hour, uh, the media is trying to change the truth. Like, you know, even when they were talking about the UK tanker yesterday, um, CNN was talking about it, how... Iran took this UK tanker and they're like, yeah, and now we're worried that President Trump is going to go to war. He's not going to war. They, they didn't take our ship, but they're trying to put it together um, and drag and change the narrative. Like you say, that's why they're the enemy. They're telling you what's what they want you to believe. And if you believe anything else, you're the crazy or bad one. Right. Right. And that's the thing. And, and they're malicious about it. Right. So so think about um, just for just for in another example here. And, and there are literally hundreds of examples like these uh, in this book that I've written, Enemies, the Press versus the American People. So uh, you can pick it up on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere you can buy books, Target, uh, anywhere you can buy books. You can find this this uh, work that I've created here. Um, but think about uh, somebody like Will Sommer at The Daily Beast, for example. OK, Will Sommer has built has now built his career off of doxing innocent Republicans simply for being Republicans, okay? He recently just doxed Carpe Donctum, the, uh, the, the meme maker whose, whose memes President Trump has shared, okay? Uh, which, by the way, BuzzFeed was thinking about doxing him and declined to do so. I actually spoke with uh, Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief, about that. And uh, they decided to to not, you know, be the villain for once, which I was surprised about. And I actually gave him kudos, you know, because uh, these people in the press are like Pavlov's dogs. You have to pat them on the back when they do the right thing. So I told Ben Smith that I was uh, happy that BuzzFeed decided not to dox Carpe Donctum. But then, of course, that left the door wide open for doxer in chief Will Sommer to go out and do the same thing, which is wait, what wait, 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 wait. Are you saying Will Sommer, the same guy that with Luke from HuffPo attacked Cernovich and made those videos about his baby Syrah, right? Yes, same yeah, guy. Same clowns. Aren't they disgusting? Like they took oh. his baby and made sounds and they were sending him threatening messages and, you know, threatening with CPS and to swat him. Like this is where they're at. You're right. It's unbelievable. And so, and Will Sommer, you got to remember too. A few months ago, Will Sommer also doxed a pastry chef at Mar-a-Lago who believed in QAnon. That was her crime. Her crime was believing in QAnon. And Will Sommer, I mean, this woman it does not have any political importance. She's simply a chef at Mar-a-Lago, which Trump happens to own. 
and 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 Will Sommer went and put her personal information out there in her name, and obviously you can you know you can find out anything about anybody uh, once their name is out there online. Uh, would again, I you know I asked the question: Is this the behavior of a friend, or is this the behavior of an enemy? It's the behavior of an enemy. It's 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 what somebody who hates you would do to you, right? Because the mainstream press does hate you. Will Sommer is a is a is a classic example of a quote unquote mainstream news journalist, right? He's he's the guy that's working on behalf of the Democratic Party to fight against President Trump. And his wife is hideous too. I want that on the record. Will Sommer's wife is so ugly that <laughs> that when the doctor when they had their first child, the doctor just slapped it. He was so he was just so mad. Uh, but anyways, uh, but, did, so but Will, listen, look at their faces. I'm going to tell you something. So Red State Talk Radio, right? We have a billboard in Times Square. And so we did this big Q promotion. My spot even has a Q on fire replacing O, right, for Tory. The Daily Beast scathed. They went so far and above to remove it, but they couldn't because Teflon. So the the thing is, they are scathing anyone that tries to... um, revert what they're saying or change the narrative, uh, you know, is a bad person in their eyes. And, you know, Epstein, I just wanted to note, it was the Daily Beast that had reported that President Trump, and they confirmed it with Marlago back in the day, had banned Epstein. They had it. They deleted that article, but I, I obviously dug it up and put it in one of my articles. So they, you know, were attacking him for supposedly being friends with Epstein, yet they were the ones that had reported back in the day that it was Marlago that had banned Epstein in 2007 when they had complaints about him either recruiting or sexually assaulting a locker girl. So, what? You know, you know what else about that story, Tori? And this is, a, this is a great point that you make. And there's a whole chapter about this in my book. So what the press does is they selectively add and omit facts that do or do not fit their narrative, right? So oftentimes they're not outright lying to you because it's so easy to fact check them on the internet these days. So what they do is they have to sculpt the narrative by dropping certain facts that do not fit their desired narrative. And that's exactly what they did with that Epstein story where they, they showed the video of Epstein at Mar-a-Lago in 1992. This was NBC who did this. Well, in that video, you can see Epstein walks in with two other people. And one of them's a tall guy with gray hair. And then there's a woman that that guy was with. And so I actually looked into this because I'm thinking, who's the tall guy with the gray hair? And why did he completely get left out of the story? Right? Why wasn't he also pegged as a friend of Jeffrey Epstein and dragged through the mud? Why was it only Trump? Well, the answer to that question, Tori, as it turned out, was because uh, that was a, a demo- that guy was a former Democratic congressman named Tom McKinnon from, from Maryland. He served three terms in, uh, in the U.S. House. He was a Democrat. And NBC completely left him out of the story. I reached out to him. This is on my website uh, at the Rundown News. Reached out to him. And got a comment where he, you know, he was he was a nice enough guy. He totally disavowed Jeffrey Epstein. But just the fact that NBC left him out of the story completely, despite the fact that he showed up to Mar-a-Lago with Epstein on that same day, and NBC left him out of the story because he was a Democrat, because he was a congressman. That is a perfect example of how the news media works. They omitted the fact that Jeffrey Epstein showed up with a Democratic congressman 
because their desired narrative is that Epstein was only friends with Trump, the Republican president. Right. Perfect example of how the mainstream press works. Yeah. Not only that, Ilhan Omar. Right. You know how she's had all these closed door meetings with like the Turkish ambassador, the president of Turkey, phone calls with the foreign minister of Turkey. Right. Uh, plotting or going to Turkey. You know, it's like, dude, you're not even a congressperson. Why are you doing this? And all these other presidents. Well, here's the thing. The Huffington Post had an article that I found, you know, through the Wayback Machine. Right. Because they deleted it. Um where they were painting a picture of Devin Nunes for having a lunch with the foreign minister of Turkey as look at him colluding with the enemy of America. Turkey is not our friend. They are an enemy, a whole piece, right? Deleted. But when you mention how Ilhan Omar is hanging with Turkey and how she had a closed door meeting with the president of Turkey and then that she possibly had a closed door meeting with the president and of Turkey and Iran, you know, that article just goes missing. It's like yeah, gone. It's 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 wild, right? It's a classic example of it's okay when we do it, right? Uh, we being the Democrats, right? Of so course. when Democrats do something that they would normally scold Republicans for, uh, somehow they get away with it. It happens all the time, and you know why they get away with it? It's because the press lets them get away with it because the press is an enemy of the ordinary American. Right? You the whole picture. They only want to give you the picture that fits the narrative of the Democratic Party. Yet, there are at least 63 million of you whom I know who are Republicans because you voted for Donald Trump. And there are many more of you, I'm sure, who did not vote or uh, maybe did not like Trump in the beginning, but you do now because he's awesome and he's cut your taxes and he's uh, doing fabulous things for this nation and will continue to. Hopefully we can get that border wall built. I'm still banking on that. Uh, another thing that the press tells you is evil, despite the fact that Democrats uh, literally talked about doing the same thing a decade ago, right? You'll never hear that on NBC. All you'll hear is that uh, Trump is a fascist and he's a racist and he wants to uh, keep brown people out of this country, despite the fact that Joe Biden literally said the same thing. Right. Uh, but here, but here's the th- yeah, but here's the thing. When he talks about the wall, it's for security, right? Because what people misunderstand, and there's this new guy, former gangster guy out of Bronx. I don't know if you saw him, Antoine. I think his name is. I, I'm I'm still doing my homework on him, you know, because I'm from New York, so I've got people down there to tell me. But I uh, sent him a request on Facebook to friend him. I saw his Instagram. And he said something, and I was like, okay, he's a good candidate going up against Ocasio. He's like, everyone keeps thinking that the problem that we have with illegal migrants is just the stuff coming through the border. Here's the deal, though, Peter. It's not. It's the overstay visas that are the problem. Right. You know, and now the Democrats, like he said, are telling you it's a Latino brown person problem because they've created these caravans to say, when you think illegal, think Hispanic. They're telling you everything in Spanish. So you just assume I'm against Mexicans. I'm against this. I'm against when the real big concern of illegal immigrants is not what's coming in through our southern border. It's actually the people flying in here and not leaving. And so, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a child of migrants. I know how that works. I have friends, you know, that I have, you know, seen, you know, consider the fact that they're going to fly in here, get, you know, late in their pregnancy to have an anchor baby and not leave again, you know, because they want to leave their country and find a better place. And these are Europeans, right? Right. And that's against the law. That's the same thing that people are doing coming in through the border. 
Only thing is, they're coming in with a vacation visa and just not leaving. And this is it. The Democrats have and the media have told us it's not an illegal immigration issue. It's a brown issue. And they've done that with the caravans, I think. And that was a really smart um, move he made. I mean, do you see that too? Like illegal immigration? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, they're they're obsessed with race, right? So what's what's one of the ways that you would you would tear down the fabric or of American society if you were an enemy? What would you do? You would try and start a race war, right? Well, isn't that exactly what the press is doing every single day? They're calling calling Trump and his supporters Nazis who want to kill brown people, right? I mean, this is just another example of how they're the enemy of the people. And, and by the way, meanwhile, and there's a whole chapter in the book about this. It's, I really think you guys would love this chapter if you picked up the book, a book. Again, it's Enemies, the Press versus the American People. There's a whole chapter called White Hate, and it's about how the media actively stokes hatred against white people, right? So like now it's a crime in the eyes of the media for you to be a white person in America, and I have, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have some leeway to talk about this stuff because I'm Syrian. Uh, you know, I'm like a third generation American. My family's been here forever. But like, uh, you know, I get to I get to kind of be the mediator and say, look, like it's fine to be white, and I can say that. And you can't call me a white supremacist because that would be stupid. I'm an Arab, right? Uh, but there's an entire chapter in this book about how the media is stoking a race war in this country because they are the enemy. Uh, simply by fomenting violence against white people. Think about the New York Times. They hire an Asian woman to be their editor uh, on their editorial board, Sarah Jong, right? And then people go and dig up Sarah Jong's old tweets. And what are they? They're all anti-white hatred. Now, if it was hatred against any other race, of course, she would have been fired immediately. But instead, what is Sarah Jong doing? Today, she's still sitting on the editorial board at the New York Times. Would your friend try and stoke a race war in America? Or would your enemy try and stoke a race war in America? The answer is simple, right? It would be your enemy who would do that because the press is the enemy of the people. A hundred percent. And guess what? I found that 30 second clip. His name is Antoine Tucker. His um, Twitter handle is at Montaga and that's M-O-N-T-A-G-A. Take a listen to how he breaks it down too, Peter. Uh, You know, you would think he read your book because he breaks it down like so good in like literally a few seconds about illegal immigration. Um, it's it's just it's just really really good the way he does it. I was shocked when I heard it um, because the way he eloquently put it was just wow. Here you go. Listen to this. You really want to know who the racists are? Every time you hear these people talk about illegal immigration, illegal immigration, you hear them speaking Spanish and talking as if there's only Latinos in this country that are illegal immigrants. Well, that's a lie. Because in fact, more people are here illegally in this country on overstay visas than people who've actually crossed that border. The thing is, if they can continue to give you this bullshit about illegal immigration being about Latinos, instead of it being about people who are here illegally from all over the world, they can continue to create the narrative that somehow this president is racist when he's not. He's just trying to fix the issue. That's totally fucked up because Congress is doing absolutely nothing about it. It's the Democrats that are talking about illegals and speaking Spanish as if somehow they're the only people who are illegal in this country. Illegal immigration became a Spanish issue when the Democrats made it a Spanish issue. The real thing is illegal immigration has to do with every single ethnicity you could think of coming from around the world here illegally. 
How's that, right? That, yeah, that's fantastic. That is perfect. He put it so eloquently. They've told you that it is a Spanish issue, so now everyone thinks it is a Spanish issue. Like, the guy is incredible, and, you know, he calls himself a former gangster turned believer in God. And he's running against AOC, by the way. So that was, yeah, so that was pretty cool. I mean, again, you know, tell everyone, like, what they would find in your book. And, you know, obviously it's a guide, but tell them exactly what they would you know get from it sure so uh, there's a whole chapter like we just talked about about white hate uh, there's a, a whole chapter which i think is very important that exposes the fact checking apparatus as another sort of propaganda arm of the dnc so you have all these fact checkers uh like snopes politifact ap washington post uh, and they're obviously not nonpartisan. they are leftists just like the people in the media and so what they do is uh, they actively every day go out there and, you know, whatever tangled web they have to weave in order to make the left wing narrative true. That's what they do. Uh, so there's a whole chapter in the book that exposes them for that. Uh, there's a whole other chapter in the book that and, and by the way, guys, I, I like to make fun of the, the media. I, li I like to show them contempt. I think that that's one of the most um, effective tools in fighting against them because uh, they hate it when you show them contempt. They hate it when you when you uh, tell them that they're unimportant, that you don't care what they have to say. Uh, so most of this book is just me making fun of them, um, and I think you'll find it pretty hilarious. There are actually some good reviews, uh, which will speak to that as well. Michelle Malkin gave it a blurb. She's one of our favorites. Uh, Michelle yeah, is awesome. But, I love her. Um, yeah. So there's uh, you know there's a whole chapter in here called the experts, which talks about how. Uh, you know, the mainstream press continuously puts up idiots who don't know anything, who pretend to be experts who are always wrong. Uh, there's a chapter called No Brainers, where uh, the, you just, where, you know, you take opinion pieces, you look at opinion pieces from the press and, and look how dumb and, and non-collegial they are uh, and wonder how these people could ever possibly get published in the mainstream. Uh, there's a chapter called We're All Gonna Die. It's all the times that the press told you that Donald Trump was somehow going to kill you, whether it was tax cuts or, uh, you know, nuclear war with any any one of, you know, 10 different nations uh, were, you know, getting rid of the individual mandate from Obamacare and so on and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a it's an interesting read. And, and I think ultimately what it does is make the case that the press is the enemy, as President Trump has said. I mean, once again, he is right. He is definitely right about the media. He's had their numbers since day one. I agree 100%. So everyone, I've already tweeted out on Twitter. I'll be putting it on the Gab, on Gab, and I'll be putting uh, the link to his book on the ToriSays.com website. Tell everyone where they can follow you or where they can see your work. Obviously, there's a lot of work that you've done with Big League. Um, you're working with Laura, just like I am. And, you know, you know what I find great is that all of us that, um, you know, are truth seekers stick together which is great. Um, and I, I find that very empowering on the fact that there are so few of us because we're even seeing conservative media take a turn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we have done a good job sticking together as, as even, you know, the formerly uh, influential right-wing outlets like Daily Caller and Washington Examiner and, and Breitbart kind of get stale and boring um, it's, it is important that we continue to stick together. So you can you can find my work uh, on my new site, which is therundownnews.com. 
Uh, you can find my contributions at lauralumer.us, uh, where I write a couple of articles a day. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at P. Dabroska, P like Peter, D-A-B-R-O-S-C-A. Uh, or just go to Tori's feed. She's uh, tweeted at me a couple times here. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's where I can be found. And uh, go to the Amazon page. And even if you don't buy the book, if you could help me out by uh, giving it a five-star review, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, and I definitely appreciate uh, everybody who's listened to this today. Well, we're so glad to have you here with us. I just want to tell everyone, you know, uh, rundownnews.com that he has now. I've actually, I saw it through Facebook and I've been sharing it, you know, on my personal feed a lot because it's like bullet points of what you really need to know. And then if it interests you, you click the article and you read it. So I adore it. And, um, you know, I can't wait to see what great things come uh, from that, uh, you know, site because, you know, Andy Breitbart was a very, very close friend of mine. So to be like Andy, you have to like, you know, oysters, Rockefeller style in Louisiana. <laughs> that was one of his favorite foods. All right. Thank you so much for being on the Tory Says Show. I can't wait to have you on again um, where we're going to be talking about um, just books on my back to school edition uh, after Labor Day. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you guys Thank all you in just a bit. Me. Thank you. Bye bye. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa. Play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows that's four pillows for the price of one to take advantage of this special offer call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code red state that's 1-800-961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a u.s citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed it's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy but when you call you'll speak with a licensed insurance company they'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance so call now 1-800-707-1219 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I totally loved having Peter on. Uh, he's one of my favorite people uh, because he understands that no matter how hard the truth is, it's best to put it out there, uh, to be objective, uh, because that's the only way that we can actually succeed as people and as a nation and as an active citizen. Right, guys? So... You know, it's really important. I uh, would encourage everyone to get his book. I, I think it would just be a great addition, you know, to provide you better insight on breaking this down. I mean, we always break it down, uh, you know, over the radio. But it's another thing to actually see it parsed apart, you know, on paper. Uh, on that total fake news narrative, it seems really odd, okay, and this just came in, that... Uh, this rumor about Erdogan in Turkey is not being debunked. We do have a lot of people that have come out, uh, that have put out reports or videos um, uh, in the ether where they're Sorry, discussing but- how, you know, the rumor of him being dead is not true, but no one is offering any concrete evidence. So, it's really, really weird, um, and uh, I'll tell you what, the most alarming part is is that um, the Russian media has also mentioned it and said that they couldn't confirm it, and this is coming like from like official Russian outlets. So this is pretty incredible. Uh, we have TRT doing a lot of pieces on President Trump. And if the U.S. is putting Turkey to the test and analysis, this just all happened recently uh, in regards to scrutinizing how the U.S. is seeing Turkey, uh, which makes it really, really awkward. Uh, Just take a listen to this before we get into Omar. It's 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 super important. And our military to military relationship remains strong. The United States will impose significant sanctions on Turkey. At the president's direction, the Department of Treasury is sanctioning Turkey's Minister of Justice and Minister of Interior. Very, very uh, difficult situation for a lot of reasons. Uh, things could have been done better in the, pre- in the previous administration. Uh, the previous administration made some very big mistakes with regard to Turkey, and it was too bad. Turkey and the U.S. have been close NATO allies for almost 70 years. But with officials changing their narratives in their dealings with Turkey, the allies' relations have been put to a test. Let's start with the latest. Turkey recently bought a missile defense system from Russia, and the U.S. was not happy about it. After Ankara received the first parts of the Russian S-400 missile defense system, Washington announced it is removing Turkey from its F-35 fighter jet program, arguing the S-400 would be incompatible with NATO systems. But Turkey was not only a manufacturing partner in the program, it had already purchased its first F-35s, and Turkey assured its ally that the S-400 would not be integrated into NATO systems and so would not pose a threat to the alliance. But even before all of this, Turkey wanted to purchase the Patriot air defense system from the US. The US stalled and forced Turkey to turn to Russia. Later, US President Trump acknowledged that the situation for Turkey is not fair. I've had a good relationship with President Erdogan. He wanted to buy our Patriot missile. We wouldn't sell it. 
And then when he made a deal, and he really wanted to buy it. And then when he made a deal with another country, Russia, to buy their system that he didn't even want, then all of a sudden we say, oh, okay, we'll, we'll now sell you the Patriot. And because of the fact he bought a Russian missile, we're not allowed to sell him billions of dollars worth of aircraft. It's not a fair situation. But despite Trump's sentiments, U.S. authorities have still started to exclude Turkey from the F-35 program. Washington has continued its support for the YPG, which is the PKK terror group's Syrian branch. The PKK is designated a terrorist organization by Turkey, the US, and the EU. The group has been wreaking havoc for decades in Turkey, and is responsible for the killing of 40,000 people. However, the US continues to provide the YPG with military support, including truckloads of military supplies and military training under the pretext of fighting Daesh. Ankara argues that one terrorist group cannot be used to fight another. They formally called themselves the YPG, who the Turks would say equated to the PKK. You're dealing with a terrorist enemy of mine. Uh, how, you know, how, how can you do that ally? So we literally played back to them, hey, you got to change your brand. You know, what, what do you want to call yourself besides the YPG? And with about a day's notice, they declared that they were the Syrian Democratic Forces. Since the July 15, 2016 coup attempt in Turkey, the two countries have held talks many times on the Fethullah terrorist organization and its US-based leader Fethullah Gulen, who is responsible for the coup attempt in which 251 people were killed. Turkey's Justice Ministry has sent scores of documents to the US providing Fethullah's activities and involvement and officially requested Gulen's extradition. But the US has refused to carry out its allies' request. With the US only asking to take from Turkey, but never ready to give, is it honest about being an ally? Ooh. So now Turkey, now that this scrutiny is coming, they're saying, ooh, are we really an ally? And this is where it ties into Omar. So first of all, they put three points. One is the missiles. Remember, the Patriot missiles is something that Obama would not sell. And remember that Gulen that's hiding out and hanging out in Pennsylvania is whose BFF? Hillary Clinton. So why is it that we've removed them? Because they went ahead and went with the S-400. But it was also the fact that they are a terrorist nation. See how they talked about the YPG? So the YPG are mainly Kurds, just so you guys know. And the YPG is only acknowledged by Turkey as a terrorist organization. They're just equating them to the PKK, right? You understand that. We need to put it separately. Now, it has been eons that, well, not eons because before there was the Ottoman Empire. So let's go to the 1800s, early 1800s, where the Ottoman Empire was finally being dismantled slowly and countries were revolting. Uh, The Kurds have always been... On the receiving end, they hate Kurds. They consider them disgusting. They're nomads, the whole nine yards. Well, one would say, how does Omar fit into this? Well, Omar has been meeting with Turkey a lot, has very close ties with Turkey a lot. And obviously, as you can see, they're not a friendly ally nation. The only connection we have with them is NATO. And that's coming under question as we speak, right? So think again, why would Ilhan Omar have connections to them? Ah, it's the Muslim Brotherhood. Now I'm going to tell you something about Omar that no one knows. 
Ilhan Omar is 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 a, a how do I say a mixture? What kind of Somali is she? Okay. There we go. That's what I'm going to tell you. So you know how we have tribes and how, you know, they're Arabian descent, uh, you know, uh, Levantine, um, West Asian, South Asian, um, and African. Well, Rir Hamar, right? Uh, They are a specific type of Somali. Okay. They are like less, they're like the, the minimum percentage. They are the first, I guess, founders of Mogadishu. They're the ones that brought Islam to Somalia and are one of the strongest and the foundation of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, one thing we all know is that Erdogan was a um his mentor was one of the strongest um binding muslim brotherhoods because there were so many but there's only really one that has been designated to be a terrorist by other nations by other islam nations so the Rio hamar are considered like a mixed population but they are very um unique because they make up that elite percentage, okay? Now, a lot of people are like, well, Ilhan Omar, she is actually Ilhan Elmi. Actually, she's not. So she was never an Elmi. She was married off to an Elmi at a younger age before she came here for protection. Again, I refer you back to her notion that she flew from Somalia to Kenya. She flew from Somalia to Kenya. Who could fly in the 90s, right, from Somalia to Kenya when they didn't have two pennies to rub together and they were in the middle of a very, very bloody civil war? Riyahamar means people of Mogadishu. They're one of the most loathed persons of Somalia, because they are supposedly the founders, I guess, because it literally translates into people of Mogadishu. They are the ones that have brought Islam to, you know, and the Islamist type regime to Somalia. Okay, dictator, Somalia, he was also Hamar. So what I want to tell you is, guess what? Who was the founder of the revolution for Al-Shabaab? Oh, yeah, that's right. So it was people of Mogadishu. Are you getting this now? So Ilhan Omar, at a younger age, you know, obviously in the Muslim culture, it's normal that you become a bride, you know, at the age of like 13. Uh, She was married off for protection to a Kenyan-based family called the Elmis. Elmi, as I said, is a Kenyan family. I mean, look where her sister and her supposed husband, you know, that's super flamboyant, live right now. Kenya. So she is not anything of who she says she is. Telling you that now. Her date of birth is all wrong. Everything is all wrong. And so one would have to wonder, okay, well, why would Ilhan have such good ties with Turkey? 
Okay, so what people don't, I, I mean, I've, I've told you guys, my listeners, how Turkey has invested a lot of money, even though they're broke, right? They're super broke. They have invested a lot of money where? In Mogadishu. And who piloted that actual, you know, notion in, you know, the early 2010s, 2009, where they were discussing? Aha. So it was the people that were considered Arir Hamar. They're the ones that are the business people. They're the ones that run Mogadishu. Those that were left behind, a lot of them actually fled to Turkey uh, during the Civil War so that the regular people of Mogadishu, right, uh, and people that live there uh, would not kill them because they were the ones and the reason as to why there was a civil war. So... People need to understand that she is not who she says she is. And her Turkish ties are well, well embedded because her family is one of the strongest Muslim Brotherhood, um, you know, partners. So if you picture like it being a club, right? You've got the Tripoli um, uh, Syrian Muslim Brotherhood peeps. You've got Turkey. You've got the really small faction in Egypt that has been ousted ever since that president died and nobody helped him, right? He was super Muslim Brotherhood. And you've got the Mogadishu Muslim Brotherhood, which, just so you know, funds, aids, and supports Al-Shabaab. Al-Shabaab was created from Ilhan Omar's family. So one would have to think, well, she had this husband, the cultural one, this one, that one, what's going on? Now, remember when I told you guys how, um, you know, uh, I was really distraught seeing pictures of Maine, you know, Lewistown, Maine. Guys, it is horrific. It looks like you're in Somalia. And so much that they're, they're writing up blogs and they're like, oh, it's about time that we smell goat cooking in the streets of Maine. And it's like, no, it's not. When you think Maine, you think lobster, lobster butter. You think tall trees, lumberjacks and freaking plaid. You don't think goat stew and spices, but they want to bring Somalia here. Here's the issue. In Somalia, the way they are raised... Okay, it's all clan gang related. Well, in 2015, when Ilhan Omar uh, was uh, putting in a bid, uh, there was a lot of bad blood. Now, I've stumbled upon some old chats that I've been able to archive where literally the Somali community is coming together saying, well, we don't care if she broke the law. It's not like anybody doesn't break the law. And how they were chasing down some guy that discussed, uh, you know, something about her husband or brother or something being gay and how she committed immigration fraud. And there was a gang, a specific named gang after him. So much that they were talking, well, his mom wants to send him away back to Somalia so they don't kill him, but she doesn't have the money, so maybe we can all pull in just to get rid of him. Um, and they're like, no, he should face the consequences for going against the Somalis. I kid you not. And, you know, one would think, what? Yes, because you can't take the culture out of a person. For, and, 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 and I mean it in the nice, you take the nice and the bad, you know, with you. I'm Greek, right? 
So uh, my parents were Greek immigrants. They raised me uh, with their culture. I've traveled to Greece, even though I was born in the States. I serve my country. I totally love Americana. I still have the cultural habits of a Greek. And what's that? Someone comes to my house, I immediately have to feed them. I kid you not. I go over to somebody's house. I don't care if it's just to pick up my kid. I'll probably bring a bottle of wine, you know, a gift card, flowers, food, something I baked. I have to do something. It's a cultural thing. Okay. It is a cultural thing. Now in their culture, there is a class system that you cannot put away. And if you just go to Somali spot, which is a forum and just browse around, you'll see how they all talk to each other because they come from different clans and you know how African they are, if they're Arab, if they're this clan, and they've already sat there in chat talking about Ilhan Omar, her fraud, and the fact that she is, that she is a Mogadishu person. And this is why she's successful. This is why everybody needs to shut up and proper up. And this totally makes sense as to the governance. Because the question is, how does someone go from New York to Arlington, Virginia, and then to Minneapolis, and then propped into the Democratic Party? How does someone with so much dirty laundry, so much fraud to come here, gets into not only the state Senate, but into Congress, and nobody talks about it? It's clan. It's disgusting. It's gangs. All you have to do is go to DuckDuckGo and type in Somali gangs. You think it's funny? That shit. That's not funny. Okay. They literally kill people. They will terrorize you until you move and you leave. This is how they respond. And if you don't do anything, say you're by yourself in Minneapolis and they don't like you because you spoke against another Somali or you expose someone, guess what happens to your family back home? That's right. Machete time. That is exactly how they operate. They're bullies. And the thing is, it still lives on the forum and thank goodness I've archived it, who the guy was, who the muscle was, how he was hired, how he was bullying people to not talk about Ilhan Omar, which is not even her name. And this is why she looks so different. She looks very different to a lot of Somalis. She looks very, very different. So the question is, okay, now we have, you know, all these questions. Steinberg did okay, but, you know, the the pre-coming here was completely wrong. Okay? This is where it is. There is a status. There is a cultural status that, you know, Americans don't get. I mean, you know, one would say, yeah, he's, you know, the rich kid in school, right? If you, I, I always try to equate to high school because people can always relate on that level as adults. So think of the clan relationship as the popular girls you see in the movie that are cheerleaders and, you know, with the jock. They're, but they're not stupid. They're actually smart. They're actually well educated. So they can trample all over everyone else. Now, there's other clans or uh, social groups that that cool group that's very well educated, right? And very powerful and very rich that will associate with them only because they need an outer network. 
But there are many clans lower down on the pyramid that they will not associate with, that they will not even blink and, and, and stop or think twice about annihilating. This is why the Civil War happened. This is why there was so much death. Because the people of Mogadishu did not care. The rear Hamar did not care. That is the way it is. Now, what some people don't even understand is that um, even though a lot of people say that the Benandiri were the founders of Mogadishu um, or, you know, what they call the Rir Hamar, because it was there, the actual, you know, derivation of their um, genetic makeup is actually Persian, which is what again? Iranian Arab Somali people. But what if I told you that actually it is a derivatory of the former Ottoman Empire? So this is where it is. Now, you know, there have been many studies on how to determine, uh, you know, their makeup and how they have been uh, made up. Uh, but the ties um, actually for the people of Mogadishu stem back to Turkey. So I'm just letting you guys know. So this kind of makes sense as to finding the family ties, but was was really important during our, you know, investigation and um, talking with Kenyan authorities and people in Mogadishu was that what we didn't understand was the how Al-Shabaab came. I mean, I told you guys that they came because of uh, the revolution, that they wanted, um, you know, a more Islamist nation and they were... Uh, they hated the fact that the Ethiopians were intruding. And that's another thing that you can also see in Minneapolis. See, the Ethiopians are Christians. And you will find on the Somali spot very aggressive, very horrid comments about Ethiopians, Christian Ethiopians. And you remember when Ilhan Omar had complained that an Uber driver um, was racist toward her? Did you guys know that that Uber driver was Ethiopian? Did you guys know that? No, you didn't. Because it's all about fake hate crimes. So she said, oh, I think he was African, remember? It's because he was an Ethiopian Christian. And the one thing that Somalis, especially the people of Mogadishu, do not like are Ethiopians, especially Christian Ethiopians that tainted Somalia with their whole Christian religion. So this is why they were founded. So when we see that Ilhan Omar cannot speak badly about Al-Qaeda. It's because that would be speaking badly about Al-Shabaab. And did she at all make a statement about the Americans killed at the Al-Shabaab bombing last week? No, she didn't. Did she talk about the bombing that happened yesterday? No, she didn't. Because that would be condemning Al-Shabaab. And if you saw the little video clip of her talking about how they have the opportunity to make changes back home so her home is not here, it's somewhere else. You have to see in that clip, I have put one of her tweets where she literally, when, when responding about the Kenyan mall attack and about the dead Somalis, she was saying how the Americans killed them. She was talking about how we went there to supposedly help them, but we slaughtered them. Um, you know, if people are coming at you with machetes, hmm, they are really aggressive. And, you know, the fact that we have one of the biggest biggest 
observation compounds comprised of intelligence and military in Minnesota should tell you enough. This is ISIS central. No, it's all Shabab central. It's Islamist central. She comes from a family that converts everyone into Islam. Why am I being disconnected? Pretty interesting. On that note, I want to tell everyone that she has roots in creating nations of Islam. Her family were the founders of Al-Shabaab. This is where we're at. So what people need to know is that Ilhan Omar will indeed have her citizenship revoked because she applied for it under false pretenses. And it's her own fault. One would say, how could it be her fault? She was a child. She was married off as a child. She came here as an adult and she knew exactly what she was doing. She was 18 when she entered this country. She was not 13 like she claims. On that note, I want to wish you all a great evening. And from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio, God bless. And I'll see you all tomorrow here. Same time, same place, 12 to 2, as always. God bless. Thank you.